0: Hey, welcome to Head Start, the podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races personalized participant video where a participant receives an edited video of themselves in the race after they cross the finish line often as soon as a few minutes after has been a long time coming in mass participation events so how far has personalized video technology really come over the last few years what does it add to the race experience how much does it cost and is the cost worth it compared to say offering just race photos as most races currently do well today we'll be looking at all these questions and more through the lens of personalized video tech pioneer irewind irewind has been providing personalized video services to races either directly or indirectly for years including to such high profile events as the new york city marathon paris marathon and asics london 10k So it's a great pleasure to be able to hear from iRewind co-founder and COO Salvador Garcia-Zalduegui on how personalized video technology works and how it has rapidly evolved over the last few years to the point of now making it widely affordable for a large number of races. Before we go into all that though, a quick reminder as always of how today's podcast was made possible through the support of our amazing sponsors. So Many thanks to RunSignUp, Race Director's favorite all in one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events, now powering more than 26,000 in person, virtual, and hybrid events. And many thanks to RaceCheck, whose free RaceCheck review box widget can help you collect and showcase your participant feedback on your own website, helping you more easily convert website visitors into paying participants. We'll be hearing a little bit more from these two great companies a bit later in the podcast. But now, let's dive into iRewind and personalized Race video with Salvador García Zeldwecki. Salvador, welcome to the podcast. Many thanks, Panos. Happy to be here. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Let's start with you telling our listeners where you're based. I'm based in Zurich, Switzerland. Awesome. And you are the head of operations at iRewind, is that right? Yes. And the co founder and head of operation at iRewind,
1: leading basically all operations globally.
0: Excellent. So today we're going to be talking a little bit more about iRewind, which is a very interesting company, far reaching in its work with races uh, worldwide. You guys are at the avant garde of personalized video in races and various video technologies in uh, mass participation sports. And apart from talking a little bit about iRewind and your products and your technologies, it would be really interesting also, I think, to help educate our audience around personalized video more generally as an opportunity for race directors, as an emerging technology, as sort of the next big thing. I know, you know, lots of people are very familiar, obviously, with photography in in races, but video is something that has not caught up as much yet. So, it's sort of like an up-and-coming thing. So, it'd be great to touch on that. Let's start with iRewind, though. You want to give us maybe like a short version of the history of the company and how it came about and what you guys have been doing over the last few years?
1: Yes, of course. So, Irwan has quite a history already. So the first seed actually of Irwan was planted back already in December 2013 in Romania, Bucharest. Together with the main founder, Bogdan Manoyo, Christian Morion, and our CTO, Mihai Nicolescu, we started working on the, on the challenge of how can we automatize video production. And the need came basically that we were all skiers, me particularly uh, loving, you know, being in the snow park. And so what we wanted is having like a memory of ourselves being doing ski or being in the snow park. And back then you had GoPro that was really big and everybody was buying GoPros and having GoPros at home and filming themselves. So we said, yeah, let's use also GoPro as consumers. But we noticed quite quickly that we came at the limits of our capabilities. First of all, angles of views, having a good view of yourself skiing while you're doing the jumps. How can you have a third off perspective? You would see only what you were seeing yourself by skiing, but you would not really see yourself properly. There was some usage, like maybe an arm where you could put the GoPro, but you had to be quite a technical skier as well to keep it quite stable. So that was the first part where we were too lazy for that. And then the second part was like, okay, great. After a ski, a day of ski, I have like, 200, 300 gigabytes of video because I have four or five hours or whatever of recording, Now I have to go through all that and edit it, right? To get a one minute or two minute video that sums up my day and which I can share and obviously brag off also towards friends and and family. So that's where the need started for IWEN. And that's where Where we started in December 2013, looking, we were back then in the Romanian market, actually present with other businesses and said, let's try it, let's test it in Romania. So during one, two years, we worked on one side on the software and on the other side on the capturing part. And there is where we started in December 2014, having our first installation where we're capturing skiers and creating automatized video clips based on the speed or based on the location of the user. On, on a specific ski slope. And this is how it all started with Irewine. And during two, three years, we worked on the technology, on the code. How can we optimize that? How can we produce that efficiently at the right cost? And there was two questions for us. There was the question of editing the software part, which was quite some work to be done there. And we were also expecting and needed new technologies. I think we're going coming to that a bit later on. And then on the other side is also the capturing part. The capturing was also something that we had to consider in all our business model, right? Having cameras on a, on a slope or having cameras on a marathon, somebody has to put them there. Somebody has to bring them there. But what can you use as a camera? And this was also a big question for us. And that's why it took certain years and time to make one side the software, but also understand how we can make the capturing efficiently.
0: It's clear that... Technologically, it's quite it's quite challenging. I think people may, like with so many things, it may appear to them that it's a straightforward thing to just capture video in a marathon or something. But actually, it's it's quite complicated, both, as you said, on the hardware front, the installation and making sure that the video itself, the raw video is captured, but also then to actually edit it into something useful, because in a marathon, similar to your experience in amateur skiing, you have hours and hours of footage but you want to actually create a nice looking clip at the end of that so with you guys originally what was the what was the business model i wonder like were you thinking even of this being built out into a business when you were still in the in the skiing use case
1: not at all so the skiing use case for us was really more how do you say a proof that on one end the software would work and on the other end that they're capturing solution and back then our main founder that was Bogdan you had very good contacts to certain big brands in Romanian market. And so they were very keen on doing something exceptional, a coup, a marketing coup. And back then we did it with Orange. So since the premise of R1, we always saw already in the vision a potential in the future that actually this is not something that consumers should pay, but actually partners, sponsors, or how do you say, organizer or owners of location should provide as, as, as an extra service to the already existing services of that location or of that
0: event. So that was back in 2013 when you got started. When did you do your first trial with actual races, for instance?
1: So it lasted two years that we were working really on the technology, on testing use cases. So we went also, we tested a lot during 2013 until December 2015, we went really across the board, meaning we tried to ski. We tested in skate parks. We tested at races. We tested in swimming, swimming pools. We tested everywhere where we thought there is a moment, uh, a sportive moment, an achievement moment that we want to capture on video. And tested, first of all, the editing part, what is the story you have in the video, as you mentioned before, Panos, the quality and the way it's rendered together needs to be appealing, needs to show something, needs to bring you some content, some information that you don't have. And so the combination of all that took us some time to discover, first of all, does it work properly and what is the right industry? And then in December 2015 is when we realized that actually one of the best market and one of the biggest markets where we can really reach a big audience is basically the mass participation, right? And particularly marathons, running, uh, running events triathlons, trail runs, and all those timed events where you have a full type of population. You have both people that have lower salaries as well as very um, uh, educated people that participate. So You have a mix of the population and you can reach a lot of people and get a lot of different opinions. And so we started and our first event ever was the Geneva Marathon. That's when we tested the first time the technology. But back then, our cameras, and unfortunately, you will not see me, but I'll try to describe, is a huge camera that was the size of a human, 1 meter 80. It was a sort of PVC tube that was 30 centimeter of diameter. It was 25 to 30 kilos with batteries the size of 1 meter to try just to capture those videos and have something that enables that you place a camera without an electricity, without anything that can work on its own and capture the content. And that's how we started. And it took us then a good year to actually improve the capturing side. We said it's not possible on one end to go with GoPros and change the the, the SD card and the battery pack every hour, every second hour, or using proprietary cam- uh, cameras from Samsung where the encoding was very complex right and we said no we really need to improve on the way on how we capture and then we started working a lot on the cameras to create our own cameras that would work in the purposes we needed for and there is where we had one year where we were really focusing on the mass participation market and testing out our software but as well particularly the capturing
0: yeah i think it's quite interesting lots of people will sympathize with this situation where Lots of technologies start out, as you say, huge, bulky hardware, sort of proof of case stuff. I think it was very similar, I guess, in the early early days of race timing, like RFID timing. And then things evolve and things get smaller and smaller. And now you have little strips of RFID tags at the back of bibs that no one even even notices. So it's it's quite interesting, that journey. And I guess with video, as we'll see, things have progressed quite a lot. In terms of where the company currently is and the, and the races you're currently working with, can you give us like a few examples of the races you're currently uh, collaborating with?
1: Yes. So we have different types of races. We have big, big races, you know, like Paris Marathon, uh, Barcelona, uh, Sevilla Marathon, or with our partners in the U.S. that they use our technology, a New York Marathon, a Boston Marathon, that have used our technology to provide the the personalized videos. Be it directly via us or, or via vendors, partners, that we have to use our technology. This is the big side, but we have also what we call the long tail. And actually, our biggest interest is actually this long tail. Big marathons are great. It gives us really an opportunity to show everybody and showcase and also for runners participating in that one-of-a-time event like the New York Marathon or Paris to get the really top-notch souvenir. But there is the whole long tail. And actually, when we founded Irewine, the goal was to mediatize all sports even that are not mediatized because it's too expensive to mediatize the smaller events. And that's one of the reasons as well Irewine exists. We want to reach this long tail and have really across the line um, the service. And so we focus a lot on those one as well. And we have in Germany, for example, hundreds of events that we do in that model with different partners. One of them is Intersport. The other one is DAC with B2Run in Germany, which are very interesting. B2Run is actually quite a big event still. So it's not so much of a long tail, but rather the Intersport model would be the, exactly those events. 800,000, 1,500 participants. And we're currently showing how valuable it is in those smaller communities. Because actually those smaller races. The community is stronger. People know each other more. Runners know each other more. And there is even more engagement and sharing and communication amongst them as they're supporting each other. So these are the two lines we're going on. And today we are actually working in 28 different countries.
0: Excellent. So... For someone who may have run the uh, New York Marathon recently, or Paris, or Boston, give our listeners a little bit of an idea of how they would have experienced the product. So basically, what is the product from a participant point of view? How does it work? What do they get? And we'll go into the technology and some of the back-end stuff and the business of it in a while. But it's, it's quite interesting for people to just get a feel for what does the iRewind end product look like for a participant? How do they take delivery of it? And what does it feel like?
1: So I'll try as best as possible to describe it in audio because I think watching one of those videos would give it clarity. However, um, you just chose two very different cases, New York and Paris Marathon. Let's take both of them. In Paris, for example, we're working with ASICS as a partner that is offering the personalized video to every single participant of the Paris Marathon. The marathon runners at Paris have the option to receive or not the service of R1. So this is also something we're very keen on, on the GDPR. Obviously, we are in Europe, so this is a very important component. So we make sure we only deliver videos to those runners that specifically have requested it. In in most of the cases, we're above 80 85% conversion because most people really enjoy getting that souvenir. Again, so in Paris, we are there working together with ASICS. It's available for free to every participant. Our model with ASICS is that we created together with ASICS what we call a 3D personalized animated map where we track the whole race of the participant. And when you see yourself moving across the map with your performance and at different strategic point of the course there is a camera and during that map animation there is a zoom in on where the camera location is and you see passing yourself at kilometer five, at kilometer 20, at kilometer 30. For example, in Paris at kilometer 30 is the shot where you have the Eiffel Tower. So there we have maybe a camera where you are less big in size on the video, but we have a fisheye where you see yourself running next to the Eiffel Tower that is on your right-hand side. Then you continue on the map, you get until the finish line, and then you have the big zoom in on the finish line where you have your last 100 meters recorded on video with a pre finish and finish camera. This is all packaged, as I said, in a 3D map animation in colors and branding styles of ASICs, but it's done in such a way that it's really personalized to the event of Paris with video, mood videos from Paris, videos from on the course, meaning when you have the map animation, you have also a feeling of. Real-life emotion, how you were in the block of runners, right? Looking left, looking right, the energy. And then you see yourself in the camera. So this is something we have really worked closely on with ASICS and Paris Marathon and the other races we're doing with ASICS in Europe to create that real feeling. How I am in the crowd, an overview of what I did, and a view of myself running. This is then sent to every participant from the Paris Marathon. One video is sent live during the event, meaning as soon as the participant crossed the line or a few, let's say half an hour to an hour later, a newsletter is sent to the participant with the finished video. So they have already, as soon as they finish the race, the finished video. Noting that this is the fastest delivery, we are even as fast as the timing results, as the official timing results with the personalized video. 24 hours to 48 hours later, another email is sent to the participant with the longer version of the video. It's a video that is is about 2 minutes 30 to 3 minutes, that composes more parts of your journey, more content of ASICS as well, more content of the Paris Marathon. The short video that is sent on the same day is the short version just of your finish line, so you have something to share to share your achievement on the moment. And those videos are available on the ASICS landing page, on the Marathon Hubs of ASICS. Those are official uh, public landing pages with um, ASICS Nurture to give information and support the runners to get ready for the marathon. There is where you get your personalized landing page and find your video. And only you as a runner are able to see your video and only you are the master of If you want to share the video publicly, if you want to delete it, or if you want to do whatever with it. So you have complete control over the video directly into the ecosystem of ASICs. That's the Paris example. And that's the model that we think is extremely good for the future, having partners, sponsors, supporting that and providing the service. On the other hand, we have New York Marathon. And in New York Marathon, we are working with our partners, which is Marathon Photo, which is a great uh, photo company from the U.S. Um, They're very big. They have, of course, slowed down during COVID and are growing back immensely, providing great service. And they are using now today our technology to deliver their personalized video service. So there we're really more like a total tech supplier And do not involve ourselves in their operation, in the way the video looks like, in the way they will provide the videos to the participant. However, in the case of New York Marathon, the videos were not offered for free, were not offered in one package. Actually, yes, they were offered as a sale package with photo or individually. So basically, in that case, the consumer were buying the video. And in New York, with the partner of, uh, with Marathon Photo, we created also a very specific design. We selected a location on the course that are meaningful to the runners, particularly the last 200 miles uh, when they enter in the Central Park. We had a big focus on this last mile in New York Marathon with also, again, a very strategic placement of cameras. The videos are available in that case to consumers, to buyers within 24 hours after the race. They're available directly with your photos in the same page where you see your photos, where you get your photos, the video player is there. You can download it from there. You could also share it, although there is not much reason to share it from there. Usually consumer rather download and then share it by themselves over whatever platform. So this is the way to happen in New York. And there, obviously, when you're doing the New York Marathon, I think I don't have to sell that to anyone, but this is the most absurd and crazy, even in positive terms, right? Everything, every consumer is going crazy, be it on photo, on goodies, on t-shirt and shoes. And video is part of that. So therefore there, it's a model that is used like that by our partner. And it also was very successfully implemented for the first time. In New York or Marathon Photo was able to deliver to the New York participant a really cool experience video of their race at New York Marathon.
0: So when you were describing this uh, earlier, and I do actually believe, as you say, that it's difficult to convey this video product by just talking about it. People should probably hit your website and have a look at a couple of those to see how they feel like. But to me, that description, and I think probably some of our listeners as well, reminded me a little bit of that Relieve product. Are you familiar with that? Exactly. That was one point of inspiration
1: for us. And... Relief, I think they're doing a great job and it's really great for training, we had to get a bit further, right? Relief says something, yes, you share, but it has less the emotional factor and less has less the importance of creating a wow effect. So in our case, when we create the 3D maps, in the case of ASIC, those are fully built from zero. Every layer of the city, every layer of the course is rebuilt But a specific 3D designer. So making a map for Paris Marathon is roughly seven to ten days of work just to create the mark, create the layers, create the possibility of truly personalizing also the map, of creating text location where you have your time, your pace, maybe the flag of your country, whatever information or data we have on the participant that is freely available or available to us through GDPR rules are also used in the video. And that's the way we did it. But yes, this was one of the source of inspiration.
0: Okay, great. Because for the people who are not familiar with Relieve, as you say, lots of people use it for training runs or even races. Basically, you upload uh, like a GPS, GPX file or something, you know, something that shows you where you've been and has data on your speed, etc. And then it just superimposes it on a map I think with like a nice music track or something at the you know in the background and it basically retraces how you run through a city or through a race and then you said that was an inspiration and then you added a lot more elements to it and that's true if you see the videos because obviously you know you have footage of people running that you then edit together and we're going to get into that in a sec you mentioned there the emotional element and you and you keep returning to that which I think is super important and I keep saying the race experience is why people go to races. It's not to go and compete against other people, see who's fastest or whatever. It's all about the race experience. So as a runner, you know, I I, I enjoy receiving uh, race photos, particularly when they're free. And I also, even I think like back a decade ago when I ran the Rome Marathon, it was like 2012, we had video like that, not edited nicely, like, like you did. It was a stream. It was a stream. It, yeah, it was basically, you know, like at the timing points, there were just videos rolling and you could wait and you could see yourself roughly with a, with a timestamp or that, which was, it wasn't mind-blowing, but it was a nice nice element, basically. What is it about video? How much of a game changer is it over photos? You know, how much of a difference does it make? If I bring video to my race compared to having, say, some amazing race photos, is it going to make as much of an impact in terms of the race experience and the enjoyment for people? I like always
1: because I have this question quite often, and there is always, like, people saying picture is a thousand words, a video is a thousand pictures. I do not agree exactly with that. It's as well when looking, when people, when there were ebooks, books books are dying. It's not true. Books are still there. The material reading a nice book is still there, right? So I see that video and photo are actually extremely complementary and provide two very different emotions when, again, we're coming back to that word, when you're consuming that content, let's say. A photo is a static moment where you are in one second of your life captured in a certain movement, often in high quality, very defined, a lot of granularity, You analyze yourself in a fixed moment. The video on the other end is something animated. You have maybe a bit less granularity, but you have you in the movement of that very specific static emotion you have. And therefore, for me, those are one of the main differences between both photos and videos. As well, video, what it brings on top of photo, and that's particularly the digital age we're living now, it's as it's an animated content, it's content that lasts. And as it's animated content that lasts, it also gives you the opportunity of bringing in a lot of emotions, a lot of symbols, a lot of slogans, information that you cannot necessarily do in a picture. A picture you would crowd it quite quickly if you tried to bring too much branding on it or too much timing information. It wouldn't look as nice. A picture you wanted cleaned. But a video on the contrary, you want it edited, you want it moments, you want it, you want to bring you, to make you travel through your journey and and try to recap all what you have lived through it. So that's for me, how you can differentiate. It's not the greatest explanation, but I think it shows a bit the difference. And as I said at the beginning, I truly believe they're very complementary. For example, what we did in Boston Marathon, we had video combined with photos. So in your video, and think again about the Relief CC product you mentioned before, you had parts, points where it was a video of yourself and other points on the course where it was photo captures of you. And this combination enables you to have both worlds into one. Nice photo, static, something you could also, because at the end of video, if you tell it's 25 frames per second, it's 25 photos per second, right? So if in a video you have nice moments, you can extract a still that has the quality of a photo. And if you combine that photo into the video, then you definitely have those stills, those frames that are a pure photo. But in the same time, you have also the animation and the video part in it. And that's how I see it.
0: Well, today we're talking about yet another technology, instant personalized video in this case, that helps enhance the race experience for your participants. And let's face it, the race experience is why people come out to take part in our events and why they might keep coming back. Safe for putting on a safe event with no major disasters, thinking of how race participants experience your event should really be every race director's top priority. Moran Up has, of course, many tools and features that can help enhance your participants' race experience before and after the race with, for example, smooth race day check-in or live race results but it also has a full dedicated app built around your participants' experience around the race course. And that's RaceJoy. For those of you not familiar with RaceJoy, RaceJoy is a GPS-based runner tracking app that your participants can carry on their phones that will do a number of things. It will record and report back to you splits and finish times, which is a great tool for you. But equally importantly, it will give your runners progress alerts straight to their headphones without the need for additional timing equipment And it will also make your race course interactive allowing spectators to track and send audio cheers to your runners as they go around the course even remote spectators who can't make it to the race on race day and what that all does is make race day so much more special for everyone taking part in your race so to learn more about race joy and how you can get race joy for your race Go to racejoy.net, that's racejoy.net, where you'll get all the info on how the app works and you'll be able to find a timer offering RaceJoy in your area. Okay, and with that, let's get back to the episode. So going back to that example I mentioned of video capture, how it used to be 10 years ago almost, what's your sense in terms of how quickly the industry is adopting video? You see it from a from business point of view. I stumble across examples of some races, mostly on the prestigious end, who keep using video more and more. But what is happening with the rest of the industry? Are people getting convinced of the benefits of video and adopting it more?
1: It's not a, as an easy as an answer. Why? Because there is somehow an asymmetry bit in how the market consumes and knows about the existence of certain technology or service. When we came out back in 2015 to sixteen with fully edited videos, right, that you can download on the spots where you have your name, your, your timing, your pace integrated in it, provided in a very short time, within 24 hours or shorter, that was already a game changer to all what was provided before, which was what you described. A stream video at a certain point, you look around it, or based on your timing, the snippet is already put on the 30 seconds where you usually pass across the camera. So that was already one of, of, of the big changes. And back then there were a certain parts of the consumer that were really very impressed by it and saw the need for it. But as the consumer in the market in our industry, in the sports mass industry, was still not there, it was not that important. It was not the stuff that would make you different from another race necessarily. A few big ones said yes, or a few sponsors, but it was not like really through, meaning not everybody was really seeing the value or, or already acknowledging that it is important. But in the last three years and since COVID, that has changed immensely. Everybody in our industry is talking only about video. Why? Because since 2015, 216, slowly the whole web needs the video, right, for communication purposes, be it social medias, be it newspapers, be it whatever type of information is always provided in a short 30-second video. We even have automatized videos where you have robotic text that just describes the the newspaper, what was written in the newspaper. So everything has started to be communicated with video. And one of the industries that didn't use that much video was actually the industry we are talking about today, which is the mass participation. Yes, they did use video for promotional purposes, a nice promo video that sits on the website that is available on YouTube or used for marketing purposes. But further than that, the event was living in an analogue world. Right? And slowly, I think the notice is that it needs this mass participation industry can live well together between analogue and digital. It just needs to combine those properly. And I think the realization is today that video is one of the components that can realize that connect between both words. And it's not only the connect between both words, it's also, and it's also a topic that is being discussed, it's also bringing partners and sponsors. We need or organize and need in our industry the support from partners and sponsors. If not, we couldn't, do most of the events that exist around the world. But we also have to satisfy those partners and sponsors. And we have to bring them new mediums to be able to, on one hand, calculate their ROI, but on the other hand, also keep them um, interested and motivated for the future by bringing always new things that will make their brand or their partnership stand out with you. And therefore, we have seen... Since COVID, particularly, an extremely strong shift. A lot of requests, much more events than we have ever expected to have on contract for 2022. We were expecting to have the same year like in 2019. We're currently looking at doubling, nearly tripling what we did in 2019. So there is a huge interest happening right now, which for me as a person is funny because for me, it's already nearly old school, what I provide. But that has been often like that, that technology is often available earlier than the consumer can really consume it and acknowledge their value. There's been like that across, I think, across the line in the tech industry. There were technologies that were available like electronic e-scooters back in 2010, but nobody was doing it. There was an efficiency problem, production problem, Distribution problem, there are problems, obviously, why technology are not readily available since the day that they're available and need time to get into the market. And that's the same feeling we have with our, with our technology and our product.
0: Yeah, there definitely comes a kind of magic moment where everything falls into place, the technology the The consumer mindset to be ready and to be demanding that technology. And I think, in the case of personalized video in races and so many other products I see trying to get into mass participation sports, the business model is extremely important as well. So basically, which we're going to get into a little bit later, which is basically the who pays for all this is extremely important for the adoption of the technology. And trying to basically make a case for why these videos, for instance, rather than the participant paying for it or the race director paying for it, although there's benefits for for both these stakeholders, why perhaps a sponsor should be paying for all this? It's I think it's going to be the last piece of the puzzle to fall into place to make adoption of this a lot broader, because it's an important factor. We'll go into cost and, and things like that in a sec so that people understand a little bit how it works and what to expect. But before we get into that, in terms of the technology, that let's also, you know speaking to race directors who are our audience today, let's give them a slightly more detailed view of what the technology looks like. We were talking earlier about few years back, cameras being like two meters high with batteries, you probably couldn't, couldn't move on your own. What does the hardware look like today? Where are we at?
1: So we have had now in total truly five generations of cameras, although there have been sub-generations in, in, in the meantime. Today we came finally to the point, and it might sound to the audience as, oh, that's a bit easy and simple, but it's much more complex than you can think of. It's basically the smartphone. So now today, our smart camera is a smartphone. The smartphone you use on on a daily basis. Why? On one hand, they have great cameras right on it. They have a technology which is the same as nearly a GoPro or a camcorder you could buy. They have the ease of use. Everybody knows how to use a smartphone. They have the connectivity, so you can directly be connected to the to the internet. You have a SIM card that you can put in it, it's efficiently working with the network. First of all, it's easy to to, to um it's small, easy to handle, not heavy, easy to transport. So those are several of the elements that made us make our last generation of camera being A smartphone, basically. And what we have is a very special software that we install on the smartphone to make the smartphone into the smart camera we need. So we are really taking certain components of the smartphone to generate and to produce the video files exactly as we need them. And we have been using now this camera, so the smartphone, since one year now. At all the races, be it the big New York Marathon or the Paris Marathon or be it a small local event uh, next to your home, everybody is using the same. So we have always made a point that if we just create hardware that is easier for scalability, which is the case with the smartphone, we want also to show that it's not only for the scalable product, that it's also being used in the most premium cases to let them know that what we use and what you will be using is the best and the same that everybody has in the market. So it's a smartphone and around the smartphone we have built a few components to make it a bit sturdier, hold longer and get a better quality of image. On one side what we have and what you can order on the r1 website is a 3D 3D casing. It's a 3D casing being printed at classical 3D printing houses where inside you can put your phone. It looks basically like a camera it has the look and feel of a camera in the factory, there is also a battery pack holder where the battery pack is put so you can have with the smartphone 14 15 16 hours of non-stop recording no need of any plugins or whatever and on top of it with the californian company uh, that is called moment lens we buy lenses and uh, tele lenses to add more focus, that natural focus, not digital focus, to have a close-up image of the runners. So that's the hardware today, basically.
0: So basically, you have your phone, and then you put it in this box that you provide, that provides sort of weather resistance and just shields the whole thing from the elements. And on top of it, you're saying you have a you have a kind of more professional lens in front of the digital lens that your phone has to basically get a better result out of that.
1: Exactly. It's a big uh, company in California that is specialized in lenses and camera accessories. They started a lot with Nikon and smartphones, and now they're one of the biggest providers actually in the US, in my opinion, of high-quality accessory material for cameras and smartphones.
0: And when I set those cameras, those phones, etc., around the course... I guess maybe put them on a stand or a tripod or whatever on on top of that, are they then connected to something during the race or do they record and store everything in their own sort of like hard drive? Or are they actually transmitting continuously through the race? How does that work?
1: So it's both. It depends on the location. It depends on the condition. It depends on the availability of network. It depends on a few factors. Basically, the premise is, yes, the phone is always connected online and can upload live the content while it's recording. That's the, the basic purpose of it. As it's a smartphone, and that was one of the reasons, you can just use whatever SIM cards of whatever provider in your local market, put it in the phone, make sure that you have the biggest data uh, above so you can upload freely and, how do you say, unlimitedly. You can also check that you have a local Wi-Fi where you can connect to. Again, with a smartphone, super easy, super standard. People can just connect to a local Wi-Fi and you can upload live. In case the internet to the Wi-Fi is not good enough, we highly recommend not to upload during the race because it doesn't bring any good Uh, maybe over, uh, how do you say, it uses a lot of CPU power to try to just push files that cannot go up and it would just detriment the recording. So if it's a bad location, the upload is off. However, the camera is always connected online. And that's one of the important usability features of our camera is that you can see the camera from wherever in the world. Meaning today, as I'm sitting with you, Panos, I can see live now my cameras Being installed in Germany at an event. I can see them live. I can press recording from here from my Zurich office for cameras that are somewhere in Germany or in Australia. I can fine tune the camera. I can stop the recording. I can start the upload. I can change the lightning settings, meaning more exposure, less exposure. So basically, the phones become that you can have a type of, how do you say, a cockpit, a person that handles those cameras from distance and you have just junior people or even helpers to just go and install the camera as it's a small and and light phone it's a smartphone it has a camera app everything is very user user friendly as you said before you mount it either on a tripod on a boom arm on a clamp on whatever system you want as the camera is around one kilo you can mount it on nearly anything you wish And so this is, yeah, one of the main ways that also we implemented and why we wanted the
0: smartphone. So it's interesting. And and so you're saying there's two separable streams there. One is that the cameras that you put on the course always sort of transmit the live image back to an operator. So you as the race director can see that all the cameras live at any moment, and I guess maybe even choose to put that on your website somewhere so that other people can see it as well. It's not a, it's not a
1: video stream. If I may interrupt you, Panos, it's not a uh, video stream because as it is actually the factor that there is low, low network capabilities, it's actually just a screenshot every 10 seconds that is uploaded from the video. Okay. But basically, you know by the 10 seconds, what is the quality and like. It's also the purpose that is low network. The the picture is often lower quality. So it's reduced, it's compressed to have an ease of operation as well on the ground.
0: Okay, great. So it's more, I guess, a kind of check to make sure that the camera is still working and, you know, basically to see the state of it. It's more like, like an operational control thing that you get an image back from that.
1: Yeah, but you get it every ten seconds. So if you make your changes, it it still works as if you have a live stream. At the end, often when you install the camera, there is nothing happening on the ground. You just see an arch and some trees, leaves. So you don't need really the active image actually to to make all your art direction. Let's say
0: okay, and then separately the video, you can choose whether you know depending on network availability, etc., to upload like on a streaming basis or just to save on the device and then you upload it later?
1: Exactly. You can save on the device depending on the smartphone, but today every smartphone has at least 110, 125 gigabytes of memory. The modern ones, obviously, three, four years ago, not. Today, yes. So you have enough space on it to record up to 14 hours because we and our app is one of the components. It's already live chunking compressing, and storing the files in a very peculiar way on the phone. So after 10 hours of recording, you don't have like from your usual smartphone, if you do 10 hours of recording with your smartphone, you might have, let's say, 300, 400 gigabyte. It highly depends what phone, if you film in 50 FPS or 100. But let's say it's around 300 gigabytes. We comparatively with the same settings would then have only 70 gigabytes. So it's it's seventy percent less of data than a usual what a usual smartphone would produce. So we can store much more locally. But as well, it enables us to upload much faster and get also the content much faster
0: into the cloud. Great. So let's actually uh, get onto the cloud and see what's happening there. So that was the hardware side of things, what's happening on the race course with the cameras. Then Once the raw video gets uploaded to the cloud, again, whether it's being done live or whether it's done after the race, what then happens there in the cloud? Because, you know, I guess you need to clip it, tag it, identify who's in it, like all kinds of smart stuff. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the technology on the cloud end of this? I don't know if I can define it as a technology, but I'll describe rather the
1: process, which should in the same way describe uh, what is the technology behind it. So how it works is that basically the stream and the, all the content files are being uploaded. Once the upload is confirmed as, as closed, we set the system into production mode. To set also the system in production mode, we need the timing information or data about the participant, right? So we need the name, surname, a BIP number, timing information, so we can allocate the right video to the right participant. This is being uploaded. This is being put into that uh, productive state. The system starts generating a few test videos. Often there are a few errors because there is timing differences between the timing that we received and the timing of our camera. So we have to correct that error rate. And there is a small process going on in our system where it tries to test and produce a few test videos. And there is a human that is just checking a few of those videos, looking at, is it correct? Is there and narrate the rule of the system. Then, mo- in most cases, there is a few correction to be done because the timing and the camera is not exactly the same. This is a bit corrected. Once this is corrected and when this is applied, we send all the videos to generate automatically. We press a button, and all the rest of the videos are being generated. So there is a first process, as I said. We put everything in the system. System spits out something it can. We check. What it spit out, we check that the rules are correct and that we don't need to modify anything. Once this is given, we put the system to full production. And then it produces on its own and makes everything by itself.
0: So what that means is basically that, you know, let's say that I upload from five different locations. So I have five different cameras. So there's a stream from each of those. It's not a
1: stream. It's a real file we upload. It's not a video stream. So it's a real video file we upload. Okay. So the way our system works, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, panels, is like if you were a video editor, you're receiving from camera one, two, three, four, five, a video file on an SD card. Let's take it very pragmatically. That's what you receive as a video editor. You take that into your computer. You load it to Adobe. Let's not make advertising, but it's the one that we may all mainly use. We upload it to Adobe. We start editing as a video editor the video. We take shot one, shot two. We see nicely panels. We make the small color grading. We make a bit of crop and follow, try to follow a bit panels to create a bit of dynamism in the video because obviously we film a static angle of view. And then once the video editor is ready, he says, Adobe generate the video and it generates a real video. That's what our system does in a whole fully automatic way.
0: Right. And how do you recognize basically who's in that video? So you can clip that specific clip of that specific runner and then add it to another clip of that same runner from some other part of the course to make the final edited video. How do you do that?
1: There are several layers of how we do that. And the first one is that we always use the timing layer as a first information basis. And it has been often a discussion for me and different partners or players in that industry of why we do that and one of the big reasons why we do that because it's important for us that 100 percent of the participant consumer at the rate can get exactly the same content we don't want differentiation and we are lucky enough that with videos as we're capturing always a fixed angle we know we have every single participant that crossed at this point compared to photographs that had to follow and shoot the participant. So that's the first basis. And due to that premise, if you are basing yourself just on OCR technology, motion recognition technology, which is the second layer that we use for editing purposes, we wouldn't be able to achieve that 100% of the participants get the same content. And that's particularly a problem when you offer the video to everybody for free, and then you have the risk that somebody didn't have his bib number on his chest it's hidden somewhere it's hidden under the jacket, or you are in a, in a um in a wheelchair, so your bib number is pressed down, so we cannot provide and Then there is obviously frustration for those that didn't receive it. they're like, "Hey, am I not good enough?" Why didn't you see me? Am I because am I in a a wheelchair? Can I not get my video because you cannot identify me? And those are then questions that are, it's not a big problem, but not nice to have. And to really bypass that, we said we'll always have as a first premise, the timing and trying to identify every single participant based on timing. And then what we do with the second layer, we improve that identification with optical character recognition, which would be, finding the bib number and reading the bib number and motion recognition which is the movement of the body everybody has a particular dna in the way he moves in the way he runs in the way he jumps it's it's really can be brought to the point that we say that it's like a fingerprint dna everybody has a peculiar motion and this is also used for recognition and then depending on the quality of that we can have a better or a shorter editing of the person. Meaning we still have for everybody the same shot. Everybody will still have a bit of crop and follow. So zoom in, zoom out on the camera. But a few participants will get even a bit more exact, meaning he'll get exactly the five seconds that are perfect for him. Compared to another person where we couldn't see the bib number, it might have been 10 or 11 seconds. So there are many rules in our system which we'll start making decisions to adapt a bit the movie. But yet, we provide every single person the same shots from the same location, with the same look and feel, with the same timing, data, pace, etc.
0: Did you know that in a recent survey, 73% of responders said that reading reviews influences which races they enter? Well, RaceCheck is the largest aggregator of race reviews in the world and has collected over 40,000 race reviews for over 6,000 events globally. So, how can you collect more reviews for your event and make the most of them to increase your race registrations? Well, you can start by listening to our Power of Race Reviews podcast from September 20th last year. There's plenty of tips there on growing your race reviews. And then visit organizers.racecheck.com, that's organizers with an S.racecheck.com to download your free racecheck review box. So, you can start showing all your race reviews on your website for an instant boost to your race's social proof and conversions. It really is a no-brainer. So, go to organizers with an s.racecheck.com and download your free racecheck review box today. Okay. Now, let's get back to the episode. So that's super fascinating. I mean, the the first layer you mentioned there, I knew, I think it was what people used to use even 10 years ago when I had this, you know, like which is basically to say you're at the 5k mark in 27 minutes, so I'll look for you then. That's been around for a while. Then now you have optical character recognition as you say, so then you try to find my bib through pattern recognition, which again I was familiar with that. And then you're saying there's a third layer which is sort of looks for your motion signature, so the way you move specifically, like Salvador, and it picks up on the fact that it's you. It it picks up on the fact. It helps you identify
1: even better the the user. Meaning, for example, if you're having correct data on the OCR because the number is a bit bent, and you have a two that could be a eight or a seven that could be what could be a seven, a one or something like that. Because also you have to consider there are different fonts as well used on BIP numbers. So depending on how it is, there is inference. The, the motion analysis would help you recognize. This is also something we use at our fixed installation uh, on ski slopes. When we try to identify somebody in a half pipe, how do I identify? him? everybody has a black suit, a black helmet and glasses. How do, make, do I make a difference? It's identifying a single pattern either on the image or on the movement of the person to combine this information and identify him. It's never 100%, but it goes in that direction.
0: Wow, really impressive. And then the process that you mentioned, which obviously I'm sure in the detail of it gets a lot more complicated than what we described here for people. How long does it take? So from the point, from the time when all the video has been uploaded, to the point at which the edited videos are ready for participants to take delivery of, typically how long does this process last?
1: As most of my answer, it highly depends on the condition. We have on one end where we can deliver the video within five minutes, you cross the finish line, really within five minutes, meaning we have the stream live. Of course, for those conditions, we need perfect internet, we need perfect timing information, we make perfect pre-ruling of how the system is done. So it's much more costly to do that, right? To have your video ready within five minutes after you cross the finish line. So it's as fast as that. And the slowest this can go, but this is mainly because there is maybe a wrong timing or because there was upload delays. But let's go from the premise that we have every video and timing available. The most it takes is 24 hours. And it's there where, and when we talk about the business model, it's there where there is the price differentiation, right? If you want it super quick, it costs a bit more because you have also more integration, more checks to do than if you say, okay, I want it in 24 hours. And in between five minutes and 24 hours, everything can happen. Certainly, events is it's in 12 hours, others it's in 16, others it's in 20, it depends. But even if we have 80,000 videos to generate, or 100,000 videos, we can still make it in those 24 hours. So when we have, there is in Geneva, a huge event in Switzerland, it's it's a very big event with nearly 50,000 participants. We generate those 50,000 videos. It took us roughly, last year, 12 hours to produce them all across the line.
0: So let's actually talk cost. All this sounds amazing, and I'm sure if it was free, everyone would be doing it. <laughs> but let's talk uh, cost a little bit. This, to me, without knowing anything about it, would sound expensive. It would sound like something that it you know might make sense, as you were mentioning earlier, for for New York and Boston and Paris and stuff, but probably not for a local trail race. So, how do the costs break down? As you say, it depends on lots of factors. Give us an idea of the whole map of of what I would be expecting to pay depending on my race and my conditions?
1: The pricing is based on two primary factors. A fee per, a variable fee per video we generate, because each time we generate and render a video, there is a cloud cost behind, a cost of storage, a cost of viewership, a cost to download, a cost for sharing. And on the other end, there is an activation fee for the event. The combination of both defines the price that you pay per participant. It goes from a few cents, like around 30 cents a participant, and it goes up to two, three euros a participant. And the difference here in between will be mainly the activation fee and the variable fee for the participant. If you have a very complex, of big design video with the map animation and all that, there is so much more preparation to activate the event, right? That's why we call it activation fee because there is so much more work we have to provide and support the customer in preparing those bits. Same on the variable fee. Due that the video is much longer or much more complex, the cost in production is a bit higher. If you want live, it's another component that would raise the price. But if you're doing really the the standard, standard, just an intro and outro, simple over and the video, you're talking a few tens of cents per participant. Obviously, if you have a race with only 100 participants, you will not be at, at 30 cent cost because the activation fee, the minimum activation fee, will make it that it will come still to one or two euro. But you have also only 100 participants, right? Not that it's negative. I find them great as well, the smaller one. I think those are exactly the ones I'm going for. But this is where we stand. So these are the two components we use always to calculate the prices. And we are from 20, 30 cents up to two, three euros. Yes, there have been events more expensive than that. And there have been events where the price could go even under 20 cents. That's typically a huge event that has, like Geneva, the, the event I had said before in Geneva with 50,000 participants, where it has a super simple, just finished video, then it can go to 10 cents because you are sp- spreading your cost across more participants so those are a bit the two components we're playing around and which creates also a bit difficulty in, in finding the perfect business model we know that for today we're very attractive for smaller events but for certain markets like let's say an african market which we're not going into we're still a bit too expensive because even 50 cent a dollar per participant in africa is a lot Right, And the problem is we cannot reduce it more in Africa or in Brazil or make prices dependent on your country origin or very difficult because the cloud cost of Google or Amazon is the same in Brazil than in the US, than in, in London, than in Switzerland. Right, So this is also our bit constrained where we cannot fully be free in really having matched up prices to also socioeconomical conditions. We try to do it on on, on, on certain countries where we want, like now in South America, we are going in and we're trying really to see how we can optimize and reduce a bit the effort to get to a pricing that is right for the local market. But these are specific efforts we are trying to do. And we're still waiting also for cloud technology to be always cheaper. And it became always cheaper. Four years ago, five years ago, I could have never offered it for this price because just ourselves, we would pay a few tens of cents to Google to render, store it, and make our video available.
0: Well, and as you say, going back to the point we mentioned earlier about sponsors and who picks up the bill, getting a sponsor to pay for this service could be really key in many cases because a sponsor could get lots of benefits out of this by branding the videos, by being associated with offering that to a participant like ASICS, you mentioned, were doing for the Paris Marathon. How much traction are race directors that you work with on the service are getting from sponsors in actually getting sponsors to be involved and pay for this on behalf of the race?
1: So this is something, and as I said, the market has changed the last six months. So Let's take it a bit with, uh, how do you say, a bit cautious what I will say because I will base myself particularly on how I've been working pre-COVID. Now this has changed a bit for the better, which is great for the organizer, for us as a company as well. But back then, the main way was that we were actually going to the sponsor of organizer or not even thinking in that perspective that we're going for Paris to ASICS. We were just going to big brands that do have an interest in that market and pitch them the idea of what they could achieve with that engagement and circle back to the organizer with the sponsor saying, look, I have this sponsorship contract with you. I would like add this service as something I have the right to provide to all your participants. So up to today, we have been doing a lot of the effort of making the sponsored video available at races By bringing ourselves the sponsor to do the idea. We didn't bring necessarily new sponsors to the organizer. That would be a wrong message here. We do not bring new sponsors. There is opportunity where it happens, but it's not our work. What we do is rather work with existing brands that are sponsoring, that have sponsoring character and are interested by the industry and try to pitch them and find venues in which then they can implement that that's the way it was but now slowly and also we notice also organizers also a younger generation coming into also the sports organization in the operation that are more capable of selling those values those those opportunities to their own sponsors and partners because also the sponsors and partners are noticing hey i want something else instead of just a banner on your website, a banner in the finish line, and some pen I have offered in the goodie bag, right? So there is like a movement from both sides currently happening. So I cannot say exactly how it looked look like at the end of the year, but it goes in the right direction and the, the dynamic that is happening and the exchange in the conversation is extremely positive. Paris Marathon, for example, is a company that was providing already personalized video via its photo partner they were selling the video but they were without saying that we are the best they were by far not the quality that we were providing also because they had other premises no no judgment on that they did great work but once we did with paris and asics the great video we did together they really noticed the impact it can have the positive impact and got themselves actively involved really in working with ASICS, and we notice that across the organizer. Once they're in and once they see the satisfaction, not only of their partners, but also from the participant and how cool it is and how actually it's free marketing, it's the same question. Why do our organizer gives a T-shirt to every runner? Because they're running in the street, going to fitness, going to work, running it. It's at the end marketing. It's a memory, emotional but also marketing. Let's not, let's not be too utopist here, right? It's marketing at the end. Video is the same, but video is so much more stronger in social media. When we see in Paris Marathon that the sample Jacques or Marie shared on her social media, on Instagram, or whatever, and got there another 500, 600 views, people clapping, congratulating them for the effort and combining all that success Linking it to ASICS because they enable it to see it and Paris Marathon is extremely positive.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think the case for this being used as a marketing tool, which is a case that people have been trying to make for race photos for years now. In this regard, photos and video have very similar business model challenges to solve because with both of them, you know, you can give them away for free as a marketing tool or you can sell them as an additional uh, revenue stream. And then for the free ones, you you can pick up the bill as a race director or you can get a sponsor to be involved. It's, it's very similar in terms of the options you have. And definitely for photos, the shift has been constant and gradual in favor of these, of, of race photos being used as marketing rather than Charging someone, which I think is completely extortionate these days in 2022, charging someone like you know 15 dollars or you know 20 euros or whatever for a set of photos from the race, and there seems to be a shift away from that. In terms of the engagement that you mentioned there, you know people put those up on on social media and they keep sharing them, which is amazing. I think if you actually do the numbers, which I'm hoping we can sort of roughly do a back of the envelope here, people will see that you get tons of reach out of even a few hundred participant videos. So let's start with how many people typically in a race that offers this product would actually download the videos?
1: So what is interesting, this is something we have, and that's why I'm mentioning that now here. We have two stats to look at. The amount of videos we generated and put at disposal of the consumers, of the participants, and the amount of participants that realize that it's available and you know it, it exists. We have a gap there. We notice always that people, when they receive a newsletter with the video in it, there is always a percentage of people that don't notice, think it's another email with some result or whatever, and just delete it or not even click. So I'll talk from the premise of people that know the video is available and have clicked on the newsletter where there is the video in it, so they have been aware of it. On this population, let's say, of runners, the engagement of download is nearly 100%. Or let's say download and sharing is more than 100%, meaning if 4,000 videos have been downloaded, at least uh, 4,000 videos have been viewed, excuse me, at least 4,000 have been downloaded or shared as well, and actually even more. So there is a huge engagement on people that know they exist and have watched their video. There is just on websites like on the sponsor website or organizer website when they share just the link already on average 15 to 20 views just on the website of wherever the video sits on. And then you have to count the thousands of videos that are being downloaded and uploaded on other social medias, generating another hundreds and thousands of views. So we have, we must say, we have extremely strong engagement. And it's, there is, of course, certain races where we have a bit less and a bit more engagement. The are, there are races where we had up to 400% of engagement, meaning there is thousand videos viewed or generated, there is over four or 5,000 of download and sharing and engagement and all that. And there is also the other side of the medal. Certain events, because it was very rainy or the organization didn't work, there was an emotional, if the event didn't go well, we see it as well in the video number. People are less keen, they have a bad souvenir of the event, they're not so happy, they still consume, but consume with less, how do you say, with less appetite, with less emotion, with less strength, right? And maybe coming back to what we mentioned, you know, also sort of between photo and video, The big difference as well for partners or for whoever offers that for free is that with video, you have so many more opportunities to engage the consumer because you have 30 seconds, one minute, one minute, 30 of video of content where you can send messages, make a call to action, share something. It can be on a website. It's just a player. So it can be combined with personalized ads which is a bit more complex on the photo side. And therefore, we hope with wine that via video, this market will really live up to its, to its, to its standard. As you said, that everybody gets free photo and video. But I think those two have to be combined to give the proper ROI to the sponsor, to the organizer, and the proper satisfaction of the runners. I think both have to be done together. Photo alone is not strong enough, unfortunately, in digital. It's already much stronger than anything they would do. But video brings you one step further in that sense. That's why also mainly video is used in social media, 10, 15-second video uh, instead of a photo, right? That's the the main difference. But they are complementary because you have the beauty of the photo and you have the animation and the dynamic of the
0: video. Absolutely, I think it's uh, it's definitely the way forward. And and speaking of the way forward, just to wrap up here with you know a little bit of a crystal ball into where things may be going. We already discussed leaps and bounds by which the technology has grown over the last few years. What do you think we'll be seeing around video technology in races in three or five years from now? Given the the pace at which technology moves, and also connectivity and five G and all kinds of stuff coming along. Where could we be in a few years?
1: It could be major. You know we are working already also on the new codec. I don't know if for the audience that would be something too technical, but the HCB265 Codec, you know, which enables to have higher quality at lower data quantity, this was enabled to now film in 4K at races, have super shots of participants. There is all the part of also machine learning and AI, which we invest in, which the industry generally is investing and growing a lot in it. Today, you can have avatars talking like Salvador, looking like Salvador or like Panos doing that, which is also something we see as a use for video, like having a virtual avatar that comments your race and stuff like that. So it will become more entertaining on one end because you will be able to bring more as I said, those avatar, those digital world, this how do you say not augmented reality, but this virtual reality in into your into your video. But then as I said, there's also the augmented reality part where you could also combine certain factors there. And in the middle point is also simply the operation and the capturing. As I said, 4K high quality camera, faster uploads, 5G networks, enabling always more and and quicker more efficient production of such content.
0: And with all that, I guess also lower costs, at least for the similar thing. For the similar thing, lower cost. And for the interesting thing, it will stay at the cost, but it will become into
1: a cost that is payable for people. Today, we can do 4K. We can do super slow zoom in. We have done that. We have races. We have professional cameramans filming. We take the stream from the TV camera and generate personalized clips. But it's just another terms of pricing, you know, because you're ingesting a much bigger stream, it's much more complex, it's much more heavy and all that. So we are already there, but it's just pricing wise today, not possible. And on the other end, and I think that's uh, for me also important to close on that, is also making the product as scalable as possible, the self-service part. Our goal is in the next year to reach at least 10,000 events. And how do we reach that? We need something that operationally speaking is extremely user-friendly and therefore our new camera generation is simply a smartphone with our app and a 3D casing. And now everybody can go to an even record. We have standard prices where for a few cents you can deliver to every participant a video. So this is where we want to go and we think that. In that pricing, that terms, everybody should be able to offer personalized video for free at scale.
0: What you mentioned there, the whole self-service approach, is something that people can do today. They can, without too great complication, get the hardware, set it up, you train them, and basically they do the whole thing for a race of any size, wherever they might be in the countries that you serve. Mm
1: -hmm. We truly started with the self-service since this year back the years before we had rather partners selected partners who we worked with we didn't call that really self-service because they were very trained by us and they were very supported by us but now since january we have truly the first self-service customer like i have an event this weekend in germany some media company called me said hey we want to do personalized kit can i do i have this this phone yes here is the price and they're doing it this weekend on their own for a few hundreds of viewers, they're now filming a, a marathon there in Germany and doing it by themselves. So this is now open. We have now, we select a bit the customers, partners we're having on the self-service. So we're calling ourselves still in beta this year. And next year is no more beta. It will be fully open to whoever. We can then go on, your, on our website, make your login, order everything really like an e-commerce. This year, it's still a bit in the beta phase. We select your partners. We are happy to receive requests from anybody, from everywhere, from wherever. It's just that we will be a bit more selective and the next year it's fully open to everybody.
0: Awesome. That's great. I think um, we've covered uh, tons of ground here. I hope we painted a a good picture for uh, listeners on the kinds of things you can do today. With video technology and, and being able to produce personalized video for participants at a very short time frame, in terms of where people can find a little bit more about Irewind and watch some of those videos we discuss so they can get a better feel for that, Where can people find that, and, and how can they reach out to you as well, Salvador?
1: Yes, so. They can find us at www.iRewind.com. I rewind like rewind the tape, I rewind. My name is Salvador Garcia Zalduegui. You'll find my contact also direct on the website and connect to my LinkedIn. And my email address is simply salvador at irywine.com. You can reach me there, reach out to us. You can also reach to hello at irywine.com in case you want to make sure that your request goes through. Because obviously, as a lead of operation, I'm every week somewhere around the globe, which is great, but which gives me a bit less time to be quickly on response.
0: Awesome. Salvador, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to uh, come on and tell us a little bit more about iRewind and the great leaps that the whole video uh, technology space has achieved in mass participation sports. And I want to thank everyone listening in, and we'll see you all on our next podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode on iRewind, an instant personalized video with my guest, iRewind COO Salvador García Zelduegui. You can find more resources on anything and everything related to race directing on our website, racedirectorshq.com. You can also share your questions about personalized race video or anything else in our Facebook group, Race Directors Hub. Many thanks again to our awesome podcast sponsors, Run, Sign Up and Race Check for sponsoring today's episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite player and check out our podcast back catalog for more great content like this. Until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races.